0: Good to see you guys. How's everybody doing on this fine summer morning? There's actually hope the sun might come out, because it's come out the last few days, and hasn't uh, that been great? Yesterday, we had this car show here on campus, and oh my word, uh, thanks to those of you who came out, brought cars, or visited, but oh my goodness. It did go almost go south, though, because my good friend Gregory Pierce tried to get the drive of the Corvette on campus ahead of me. <laughs> now, I don't know what he was thinking, but no, it turned out great. He got to drive, so I got to drive the Corvette again, uh, which was a thrill. Um, actually, the best part of that was 10- or 11-year-old Luke Sinclair was on campus when everything was closed down and we were leaving, and I called him into the car and got to zip around the parking lot a little bit with him. That was awesome. That was so fun. Um, but great regret to drive a... Uh, Early 70s uh, Dodge Charger Supercharger, a hot rod, and uh, there's pictures. I don't know if he posts or not, but whatever. Um, we had a lot of fun, and um, even better. So, because of the generosity of the people that show up and show cars, um, you know, they collected some cash, and uh, the car club that helps run that car show with us yesterday uh, donated $500 to the Hume Lake Fund. Uh, so that's really cool. <laughs> So just a good time, and um, it, was, it was a blessing. It's good to have guests on campus anytime we can get them here, and there were plenty yesterday, so that was cool. Um, like most of you, last week I was following the uh, story of the lost sub and the, the tragedy uh, that resulted, and it was a horrible thing. And uh, I'm, I've chosen not to be on social media So I don't hear a lot about what goes on there unless people share it with me. But I did read an article that reflects sadly on our culture and uh, about how angry it can be. And I guess I have a caution for us before I even get into my sermon is I just think really as Christian people, we really need to to practice and learn uh, quite a bit of discernment and discretion about what we not only say out in the world, but what we listen to and what we allow ourselves to take in, who we follow online and stuff, um, because there's just a lot, here, uh, here's a great quote for you, um, we'll work in hundreds of different uh, contexts, but the best definition for maturity I ever heard was it's, maturity is courage balanced with consideration. And the problem with the Internet is it allows people, it permits people to be over-courageous, you know, on steroids. And so we just got to be careful. And this was one of, this, is, this came from an article, this quote from the LA Times, and it says, like a digital tower of Babel, social media is evolving into an increasingly ugly and chaotic space, a real-time repository for our worst impulses, inspired musings, scatical, scatological humor, and ill-formed thoughts that should be kept to ourselves. Los Angeles Times staff writer Jessica Gelt noted, it is an online mall of America, vast, vauscious, relentlessly commercial, and soul-sucking. And in a time of immense crisis, political, ecological, social, it has become a garbage dump of vile commentary, publicly aired because that's just what we do now. And I think that's sad. I think the world's always been... A little bit of an angry place. Um, it's certainly been less angry before, and uh, I'd like it to be less angry more, but I think it's up to Christian people uh, to figure that out, for us to be salt and light. And I can go around town, even if I'm not on social media. Last week, I was on a bike ride, and a truck passed me, a big, massive, manly, probably gun-carrying, hunting kind of truck, right? Um and it was a truck with a cab on it, and strewn across the back of it was a flag as big as the truck that said, F word, Biden. It didn't say word, though. It spelled it out. And it had other things to say. I thought that was incredibly contemptuous and sad, and that that could be displayed publicly in our country, and that we can you know, largely think that that's normal. I grew up myself super angry, um, just bitter. In my teen years, I felt so ripped off and so unheard after uh, my parents divorced when I was 12 years old, um, and all through my teen years, even into my early Christianity, I was saved at 16. I was just you know, like this ball of anger, ready to attack what I didn't think was good and Um, be play the victim and whatever and it manifested itself in a few different ways I cussed a lot I sure didn't get along with my poor single mom who was doing her best to raise me and my brother Um, and there's one time that sticks out in my head pretty profoundly Um, I cared about two things in junior high sports and girls that's pretty much it and uh, so my hair I had hair in junior high, I had hair. And uh, I got a haircut. My hair wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And I'm in the bathroom working on it, working on it, and just getting frustrated. I'm like cussing at the barber in my head. And I'm like just, and I got so angry at one point that I took my hairbrush and I threw it down. Well, I could try this 100 times. I don't think I could ever replicate it. It hit the sink in such a way that it spun from the backside to the front side and shot back at me, and I had to dodge it like Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, so like anger and bitterness were really part of my life, and like, it, it's been part of yours to whatever degree, right? If you look around, just go ahead, and take a take a look around. Just look all the normal people around you. Every single person in the room just like every single person in the world, has been hurt. They've been offended. They've suffered at the hands of others. They've been disappointed. Everybody. We contend, as human beings, we contend with hurt, bitterness, loss, and pain. All of us, to whatever degree. And and, and the Bible, God isn't ignorant to the things we encounter or the things we struggle with. And a large part of what is in the Bible are the counters to what our human experiences are. The things that can make life better in spite of the realities. And so Ephesians 4 starts talking about what it is to live the Christian life. Chapters 1 through 3, I love Ephesians. Chapters 1 through 3 is everything Christ did for us and what we have in Christ. And it's awesome stuff. We talked a little bit about it a second ago during communion, I guess. It's awesome stuff. I wish we were going through Ephesians. I wish I could talk all about it, but just trust me to understand that chapters 1 through 3... Is everything that Christ has done for us and how we're new in him. And then chapters 4 through 6 are, what do you do about it now? And if you look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he says this, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk, that means live your life, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, this is a corporate instruction to a church, so it fits us individually. Um, It's interesting how the instructions for the Bible are all for one and one for all. It's really interesting. Because I think the temptation is to think just individually about what the instructions to a disciple might be. But the instructions very often are corporate. And certainly the book of Ephesians is. And so he's telling us, look, you've been given all of this by Christ. This gift that you have from Jesus is magnificent on a scale that's unmeasurable. And since that's true, walk worthy of it. You know, yesterday I'm driving that Corvette. I was scanning, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, there's nobody around. I'm scanning the road and the sidewalks and the intersections totally different than when I drive my 2002 Volkswagen Eurovan. (laughs) I'm trying to be worthy of the gift, and that's what Ephesians 4 is about, and so then if you skip down to chapter 17, and we're going to read through 32, but we are going to laser focus on 31 and 32, but as we read through 17 following, notice how many Thick the passages with relational considerations. Listen. Now this I say in testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. "'assuming that you have heard about him "'and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, "'to put off your old self, "'which belongs to your former manner of life "'and is corrupt through deceitful desires, "'and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, "'and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God "'in true righteousness and holiness. "'Therefore, having put away falsehood, "'let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, "'for we are all members of one another.' by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And Jesus, we come to you. We invite you to instruct our hearts and minds according to your truth. And I know that... Potentially, this topic is uh, super sensitive for some people, and I just pray that your spirit would minister, and that grace would overwhelm, and that your love would overpower and uh, infuse us um, with the goodness that you offer, Um, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a a lofty call. (laughs) You know, it's big. You know, the number one instruction here at Crosspoint about, you know, from Pastor Bruce about reading your Bible is slow down. Slow down. Especially, I think especially when there's practical instruction is to slow down and listen to what it means. Like take and, and, and absorb words. Verse 31, let how much bitterness and wrath and anger be put away? All. You know, it's not supposed to be part of the Christian life. That's what Paul's telling us here, that it's all supposed to go. But here's what you'll notice, whether it's those words in 31 or the ones above it. What we're being told by Paul in chapter 4 is to prioritize the relational parts of our lives. Prioritize the relational. See, I think when it comes to sinfulness, it's easy to pay attention to the stuff that's like in the Ten Commandments. Kind of the legal sins or the ones that are illegal Like, it's illegal to steal. The overwhelming majority of people in church today, hopefully all of us, but the overwhelming majority of us in church today don't steal. It's against the law. But we might gossip. Isn't that interesting? Because one is really easy to pay attention to and easy to reject, and the other one is maybe easier to tolerate. But the Bible forbids both. And so the Bible prioritizes relational interaction to such a degree that Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor, which is basically anybody else in the whole wide world, including the opposite political party of yours, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the priority. It's relational. And the majority of Ephesians 4 is relational. I counted 10 instructions. Nine of 10 are relational. In the lust of the flesh, there's 15 things we are to put away. Seven of them are relational. The priority of getting along with one another isn't a low priority. It's it's arguably the highest priority because Jesus said that the greatest commandment is love God, love people, and they're equal. And so we have to take in our minds, in our thinking, it starts there, that relating to one another in love is a priority. That it's super important in the eyes of God, and it should be super important to us. God's way is love, well-connected, free from corruption, joy-filled, unified relationships, beginning in the home and spreading out from there, certainly in the church friendships, workplace, which I understand can be really hard. Satan's arena is anger, bitterness, wrath, malice. And verse 27 says that when we play in his playground, we're giving him an advantage. We're giving him a spot in our life to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And when I hear steal, kill, and destroy lives, I don't mean death. I don't think it means death. I think it means the abundant life we're being we're going to be cheated out of the abundant life that John 10:10 10, 10 goes on to say that Jesus offers. So God wants you to have healthy, whole, joy-filled relationships. Satan wants those broken and angry and bitter and separated, anything but unified. And when we're so when we behave in these ways that we're being asked not to behave We're giving the devil advantage to do that. So we we got to take these things seriously. we got to recognize that they not only give the devil advantage, but in context, they grieve the Holy Spirit. It's important. Can you see the importance? The way we get along with other people, the way we exude God's love, Christ's grace, it matters. And so what we're told, number two... It's put away the old way. When I, like I told you, I grew up as a teenager, just angry and bitter, and like it took me a while to get through it. And if, uh, if you, you can ask him anytime you want, but if you ask Pastor Bruce uh, what it was like working with me back in the 90s, he would tell you that he was still getting over a lot of that stuff that he grew up with. And he can express that to you really clearly, and, and that's fine. You can investigate that if you want. Um, it won't hurt me at all. Um, because by the grace of God, I'm different. You know, God, I, I still struggle. I still got little, little, little tinges of things come up from time to time, but it is my determination to put that away. Put away the old way. Put it away. It's like taking out the trash. What would happen if you left your trash, you just tra- filled the can, you never took it out? your home would be overwhelmed with trash. God saying, so look at the verses, verse 22. So if you've heard about Christ, put off your old self. Put it off, which belongs to your former manner of life and corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood, let each of you, and it goes on. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. It's like, take the the negativity, take the evil, take the bad, take the stuff that's pulling you back, take the stuff that's giving Satan an an advantage, and put it away from you. And that doesn't mean you're going to pray today and go, oh, God, put this away from me. No, it's like you're trash. You got to do it all the time. You are going to be confronted with anger, if you're like me, every single day, multiple times a day. If you drive, you're being confronted with anger, aren't you? Put it away. And number, uh, that's number two. So we're to entirely reject that old sinful life. And we're never going to do it perfectly. And so it's what we're told in number three. Practice the new way. We're going to put off your old self. Verse 24, put on the new self. Put on the parts of Christ that aren't in you now, but put them on. Practice, and practice means two things. Practice means training. I'm going to practice my tennis serve so I can beat my opponent. I'm going to practice that. Every, I'm just going to just repeat it. I'm going to practice, practice, practice. I'm going to train. But it also means habit. How many of you practice brushing your teeth? <laughs> it's a practice. It's your habit. And so that's what we're working toward. But to do that, we have to do it over and over and over. And what we want, this is... So what's interesting about repetition, you know, you learn to tie your shoes. And when you first learned, it was... And you had to think about every move, and it was hard and it was complicated. Now you can talk, chew gum, tie your shoes, and watch TV. (laughs) It's the same in your spiritual life. You want to do it so much that it gets integrated into your character. And that's the kind of work we do in our faith. We 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 prioritize that relational, we put away the old but we embrace the new. You know, why do you shower regularly, wash your hands, brush your teeth daily? Why do you do that? I'll tell you one reason. There's a lot of reasons, health of course. But because you want to connect with people. You practice hygiene so you are accepted by others. My wife and I were joking last night we were at dinner and talking about onions. You know, I don't eat onions. I haven't eaten onions since junior high. You want to know why? Bad breath, Right. Girls. Never know when you're going to meet a girl, kiss a girl, no bad onions. And I chewed gum every day. Same reason. So we, we practice it. So we'll, pr- we'll prioritize the relational in those kind of ways. What Paul's asking us to do is prioritize the relationship relational in our spiritual lives and make it such a high priority that it comes out of us naturally and so we're going to put away we're going to we're going to practice and it says we're reading slow right verse 31 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another As God and Christ forgave you, as God and Christ forgave you, how was that? Have you ever sat and thought and pondered and meditated on the idea about how Jesus Christ forgave you? That's actually part of what we do at communion, right? But in a steady fashion, have you pondered that? I I have, and I find three ways that Christ has forgiven me. One I learned in seminary years ago, and it just fascinates me. Number one, here's how Christ forgives us He initiates the forgiveness. I'm sinful and dirty and repulsive, and Jesus comes to me first. He initiates forgiveness. 1 John 2. One and two say, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not just for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation, what's that mean? We never say that word unless we're reading this verse or the one in Romans, I think it's eight. Propitiation is a Greek word that means that there's, there's an offer of redemption that is initiated by the offended party, by the, one, by, the, by the one who should be collecting the debt. He's not waiting for you to beg and beg and beg and beg to get the forgiveness. He's just waiting for you. He's not waiting for you to do a bunch of religious stuff to be in church every week, to give your money, to serve, to to practice any kind of religious ceremony. He's not waiting for that. He just stands ready and postured to forgive whoever, whenever, wherever, forever. He initiates. It's unreal. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us that even though while we were still sinners, Christ died for us right in the middle of the dirt. We didn't have to clean up at all to come to him. He just forgives. Why? It's because he's a forgiver. And that's the call in our lives. We are called to go from being forgiven to being forgivers. And he's just ready and waiting to forgive he forgives because he's a forgiver. And then we're going to forgive like Christ because he's compassionate. I love this verse. I think we all think about it, but again, it's worth reading slow. Luke 23, 34 is where Jesus says, from the cross, from the cross, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. how? Jesus isn't looking for reasons to be offended. He is offended. Every one of us have offended us. And in spite of the fact that he's offended, he's not anxious to judge or punish us. He's postured to forgive and excuse wrong. My son Josh and his wife Priscilla with our beautiful granddaughter Violet live in our house right now. And we love it. And in my eyes, that little 21-month-old girl can do no wrong. The other night, she's crying, she's throwing a fit in the bedroom. She don't want to go to sleep. Crying. I'm out in the living room like, "What in the world's going on?" They come out carrying her, and I ask, "What are you doing to torture that poor child?" <laughs> Compa- that's, that's God's compassion for us. We're hurt we're confused we feel ripped off we we feel we feel just like nobody's caring for us the way we need them to nobody hears us and he's reaching down he says i can relate to you and i care and even though you're not everything that god wants you to be i forgive you how in the world can god be so merciful when we sin so much he's a forgiver He's a forgiver, and he just, he just, he lives, it's his character, he can't help it. And number three, how do you, you know, what is it to forgive like Christ? He's thorough, he's thorough. We forgive in, in, in life, you know, it's this kind of, it's this scale, it's not a scale for God, it's, I'm going to forgive Everything. I'm going to forgive it all. It doesn't matter how big the sin is. Lied, chief, steal, rebel, abuse, murder. Yep, forgiven. All of it. All of it. Christ forgives it up. How about how, how many? Do you have like five years worth of sin? Do you got 15 years worth of sin? Do you got 150 billion sins? Or do you got 150,000? It doesn't matter. He forgives it all. He forgives it all. And it doesn't matter how, how long, how, how vast. And the Bible says that he takes our sin and he takes it as far as the east is from the west, which is infinity. Like, it's just, he forgives all of it. And there's a large pile of sin in my past. And I want you to hear something too. If you got saved as a kid, because I've had these conversations with students before. They, it can be tempting to not have an understanding of how much you've been forgiven, but if you were saved at a young age, don't forget this. You were saved from the sins you would have committed if you didn't find Jesus that early. Isn't that cool? Like, and then it's not hard for me anyway to think about what I'd be if I wasn't a Christian the last several years. right? What, like, what kind of sorry, idiot would I be? I probably have that F-word flag on my truck. God forgave what I not only what's in my past but what would have been in my future. And Jesus forgives. It says, look at it again. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. This is how there's probably other elements, but these were three that seemed really important to share with me with you today. And what we're being told is to forgive like Christ Christ didn't earn forgiver status by forgiving a lot he's just a forgiver he forgives because he's he forgives a lot because he's a forgiver and that's a call in our life so how in the world do you do this and i know it's big like this is these next few points this is potentially conference amount of input it's potentially counseling input and i would encourage you That if after hearing this and it's real troubling to your soul and you need counseling for it, get the counseling. But whatever you do, commit to getting free. Because anger and bitterness is a prison. I'll prove it to you. Let's say you're bitter with somebody. And you hear that you both were invited to the same party. Do you go? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you're super bitter, you don't go. And even if you do go, you're going to avoid them. You're in prison. So let's get free. Let's, let's achieve what God's best is for us by learning how to be a forgiver. And number one, the obvious first thing you need to do is resolve to be a forgiver. Don't settle for, don't tolerate unforgiveness and anger and bitterness in your spirit. Just, just, and if you need help with that, beg God for the help. It's, by the way, it's understandable and normal for people to be angry and bitter. That's why God's addressing it in the Bible. That's the human way. He's shown us the God way, the better way. It's, it, so I'm not talking about these things to make anybody feel guilty. I just want to set you free. Resolve to be a forgiver. As long as you give yourself permission to be angry and bitter, you will fail to be the forgiver like Jesus is. You just can't give yourself permission. Take away the permission. And it's a matter of faith. You're not going to feel like forgiving. Forgive anyway. You're not going to feel like being pleasant and kind. Be pleasant and kind anyway. My normal, natural tendency for my lifetime before I got saved was anger and bitterness, and it, and it overflowed everywhere I went. Resolve to be a forgiver. Number two, release your need for retribution like just give up on that cuz here's what bitterness is it's it's demanding it's claiming the right to hurt those who hurt you and the bible says that's god's job to ex- execute that justice vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord like that's his job let it go you've been hurt it, you don't have a right to hurt them back, let it go. It's just the spiritual thing, it's the better thing. God knows that, you don't. Again, it's it's faith. And so I just wanna take a second right now, a few, like a minute or two. I want you, everybody in the room, bow your head, close your eyes. Everybody, not a single soul except me, because I gotta read. As you sit there quietly, is anybody coming immediately to your mind? who you need to forgive. Could you just right now say, Jesus, I choose to forgive. I turn over to you the necessary justice in the experience I've had with fill in the blank, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, my spouse, my kids, And maybe you can't let it entirely it's so big you can't let it go entirely right now. Could you just tell God, God I'm giving that to you though. I'm not going to let it tether my life anymore. I'm not going to let it be a handcuff. I'm going to work toward letting that go with your help. Jesus it's Amazing how you work in our lives, and how we can forgive, how we can be free. And so people are dealing with things even right now here in the middle of a, of a sermon. And I just pray that your grace and your power would reign, and you would give people the, the, the love and the joy and the freedom that comes only by following your way. Amen. And so then number three, we're, we're going to resolve to be that forgiver. We're going to release our need for retribution. We're going to restore, obviously, broken relationships. Look, if you have a relationship with people, there should be a bridge of freedom of interaction. That's what Paul's calling us to in verses 1 through 3. Come together with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Be eager to maintain a unity spirit and the bond of peace. It's a lofty thing. It's, It's incredibly lofty but it's right and good, and we know that because it's here in the Bible. There should be free paths between you and others. Again, beginning in your family, branching out to friendships and church relationships. If it's so severely broken that you cannot cover it in prayer and walk away from a prayer like we just did with peace in your heart, you're probably going to have to go talk to somebody. You're probably going to have to go to them and restore And there's kind of two sides of this. If you've hurt somebody and you know it, you need to go to them and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I'll tell you what, it's really interesting to me that how what can be destroyed and imprisoned for months and months, if not years and years. Can be set free in such a short amount of time. But it takes humility. It takes sincerity. It takes going to somebody and saying, I know I've hurt you. I'm sorry I was wrong. But what if you're offended? What if they should come talk to you? And they haven't. It's been weeks, it's been months, it's been decades. And you're angry about it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Hey, hey, Dad. Hey, hey, spouse. I've been angry and bitter for a long time. And I've just realized how wrong that is, and I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Because here's the truth. You can't take ownership for their behavior, but you can take ownership for yours. And so I know these are hard things, and I know we've only talked for a few minutes, and, and it's big, but here it is in Scripture. I actually said way more than Paul did. Paul just said, let it all. Don't hold on to any of it. Let these actions and behaviors be put out of your life so that you can encounter the glory of God in your own soul and spirit, and so you can share it dramatically with others. You've been forgiven so much more than you'll ever forgive. And that's what we bring to those in our lives, and that's what will set us free, and that's what That's what will give us that abundant life that Jesus Christ promises. And as we're listening to this, sprinkled all through this, is the idea that Jesus is a forgiver and he stands ready to forgive you today if you don't yet know him. If there's not a point in time in your life where you brought your sin to Jesus Christ and said, please forgive me, today could be that day. For me, it was in August of 1980. And I just simply went to Jesus Christ with the help of another person, show me what the Bible says. And I just prayed a prayer like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Would you come into my life today and grant me a home in heaven? Thank you. Amen. And that was the extent of my confession through a simple prayer like that. And that might be the desire of your heart today. So again, once again, we'll get everybody bow your heads and pray. And we'll close, but I want to give you an opportunity. If you're the person who wants to receive Christ today, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that could be true for you today. If you pray a prayer like this, dear Jesus, I know I have sin in my life and I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. I thank you for the cross and the resurrection that promised me forgiveness and a home in heaven. And I accept that free gift this morning. And if you know Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you too. I don't stand up here without understanding that these are potentially ridiculously hard truths For certain people, they're simple when we look at them as words on a page, but they're complicated to work into and out of our lives. And so, God, by your Spirit, work, work powerfully and come into our lives where we need you the most and redeem the broken. Make whole that what is tearing us apart and help us as Christian people in all of those circles of interaction beginning in our family and really stretching all the way out to something as vast as social media help us to be portrayers of your love and grace way more than we are of anything that reflects anger we can't do it without you we can't do anything good without you so thank you for coming into our lives and thanks for making a difference And just help us along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.